morning, guys. Good to see you. Listen, uh, this, this school year is shifting heavily into the practical as we start to take a look at a lot of how-tos of following Jesus. Because what I've found is that while I love to live in the theoretical and the philosophical, well, A, some of you don't. And B, there are times when all of us just need to kind of be told in plain, simple terms what to do, right? Just lay it out for me clearly, step by step. And I find in our relationship with Jesus, and, and when it comes to the Christian faith, there's a lot of people who know ideas. But when it comes to putting them into play, are desperately searching for some very simples, just tell me what to do. And so we're beginning a journey on that today. And what we're going to be looking at these next few weeks together is specifically how Jesus says we should approach our relationship with God. Now, I want to anchor this in three stories for you here today. Three stories that you'll find in the Gospels. I put some passage markers up there if you want to follow along or you can just listen as I read it. But as I share these three separate stories with you, what I want you to do is try to find some connective tissue or commonality between these three otherwise separate episodes. The first is this. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat, and he walked. Story two. At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So Jesus called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. Story three. It says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing. And he said, be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. 
Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed and in terrible suffering. So Jesus said, I'll go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. So we have three stories that are floating out there. A story about a lame man. We have a second story about a little child. And we have this third story about the centurion. And on the surface, you could look at these three stories and they really don't seem to be connected. Oh, sure, you could say they all have Jesus in them. Sure, you can say they all witness some kind of miracle taking place. But I'm talking about the connection between the three people on the receiving end. Certainly, I think it's fair to say that these three people didn't know each other and never will. But each three, each of these three gives us a picture of how Jesus wants us to think about our relationship to God. You have a lame guy, and he's just unable. He is unable, and there is no hiding it, no pretense about it right? It is there for all to see. He is lame and he knows it and he needs Jesus because other than by the grace of God, he is stuck in that condition permanently. And then you have this story revolving little children. Certainly at some level they're able I mean, they can get up, they can walk, they can toddle around, they they can do some things, but at some level, they're still utterly dependent. See, without an adult, without mom or dad there to shield them and watch them, to protect them and feed them, they're they're lost. They're gone. They're they're preyed upon by the forces of this world. They're preyed upon by the people of this world. They, They find themselves similarly in a place completely unable and utterly dependent on those who are bigger and stronger than they are to care for them and guide them and see them safely through. Which brings us to the centurion, because it's odd, because you think centurion, military, soldier, strong, able. Not only that, he's a centurion, which means he's an officer. He has people under his command, and yet... As a military officer, he still stands in a chain of command. He still stands under authority, which means that his life is still dictated by others above him, whether he likes it or not. Who here did military? And why did you get out? More often than not, I hear people tell me, because I get tired of people telling me what to do. I want to be able to set the course of my own life and no longer be at the whim of the decisions of those above me. So we have these three stories, right? A lame guy, little children, 
and a centurion. And all of them share a similar commonality. All of them stand in a dependent or submissive state under something above them. Now, last, uh, last Sunday, I shared with you my 100-word spiritual fitness plan. Um, by the way, if you haven't done this yet, um, get on it. I really encourage you to do it. If you don't know the context of what I'm talking about, listen to last week's message online. But, but, but spend some time and hashtag your spiritual fitness plan there. But, but I shared with you that, that, that in mine, one of the things that I'm, I've been trying to do in my prayer life is, is forcing myself literally to my knees. See, I'll chat with God throughout the day. I'll talk to God when I'm laying in bed. I'll talk to God when I'm driving the car. I'll talk to God when I'm running the trail or on the treadmill or whatever it might be. I'll talk to God when I'm in meetings. Yeah, I'll talk to God even when I'm in conversations with you half the time, all right? I talk to God in this conversational way throughout the day, but I've really gotten out of the practice of doing this, literally, And I found that there's this connectivity between our our body and our soul. That these aren't just separate compartments of our life, but that, that who we are and what we do physically affects who we are and what we do spiritually and vice versa. And so I've been trying in my prayer life to actually literally force myself daily to pray at some point from my knees. Now, I don't know about you, but I have found tremendous help and wisdom from the prayers of other people. You ever do this? You get like a prayer book from someone, and sometimes their words can inform your words. They speak into your soul in such a way that it kind of invokes out feelings you don't know how to articulate or or corrects thought processes that you typically don't pray about or might be approaching God with in the wrong way. You know what I mean on this? You ever do this? If not, I, I encourage it. Learn to pray from other people. And, and one of the tools that I've been using in this exercise is a, a collection of prayers by, well, Puritans. Like, yeah, the actual turkey hat wearing Puritans. Because, dude, can these suckers pray? The insights and posture that they would take before God will, will literally send you to your knees. And so every day I've been using one of their prayers to kind of help guide my own. And I came across this one. I got to tell you, I've been struggling with it. Let me show it to you. It's an excerpt from the middle, and it says this, O fountain of all good, which is just such a choice way of approaching God, isn't it? Like, do you ever go, O fountain fountain of all good? I can't even say it, right? Just such a cool way to, to get beyond dear God. O fountain of all good. Destroy in me every lofty thought. Break pride to pieces and scatter it to the winds. Annihilate each clinging shred of self-righteousness. Who talks like that? Implant in me true lowliness of spirit. Abase me to self-loathing and self-abhorrence. Open in me a fount of penitential tears. Catch it. Break me. Then bind me up. Have you ever been like in the middle of a prayer going like, I can't say that? 
Have you ever been like in the middle of a song going, I'm not singing that? You know, you ever have these moments where, I mean, you know the words are theologically correct. You know there's something good there, but it's like, oh, oh my gosh. I, I don't want to pray that. I don't want that. I've been struggling to pray this prayer. I kind of had to stop and kind of meander through it and there's something there I don't like. And, you know, and I don't want this to be misunderstood. It's not a, you know, God, you can't tell me what to do kind of attitude or, or God, you got nothing, no power over me. No, 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 it's nothing like that. But, but it just seems, it seems so dependent. It seems to adopt such a, pish, uh, such a position of inability. It seems to so willingly ask for his authority. I gotta be honest with you. I don't really know if I want that. It's not because I don't want God in my life, it's not because I don't recognize. That God is good and God is sovereign and God has the right. No, no, I mean, I get all that. It's because at some fundamental level, I like how I feel when I think of myself as strong and able. I like the freedom that it brings. Not the freedom to do whatever I want, but, but a freedom nonetheless. I like, I like the sense of life and vitality that comes with it. You know, I, I don't like feeling like I'm a hapless leaf from Forrest Gump. I know it's a feather, but go with me. Blowing on the wind, you know, just at the whims of wherever God might send or God might ask or God might do. It just seems so stinking passive. It seems so out of control. And I don't like how that feels. And to a degree, there might even be some wisdom to feeling this way because, you know, the reality is God doesn't give us a play-by-play. He wants us to approach our lives and our spiritual lives as well as, as mature adult human beings, investing us with ability to make decisions and choices and, and, and learn and grow from the process. No, I get that, but at some level, at some level, I find myself resistant, hesitant to this kind of thing, even though I know it to be true. Because see, here's the thing. In my relationship with God, I like to think of God as a partner. But Jesus has a different way. He invites us to approach our relationship with God and see ourselves as unable, dependent, and under authority. Which is why I think it's so hard for people who are strong and are able to actually follow God. I mean, it's, it's no... 
it's no mystery that the people that you see from the New Testament era that followed Jesus were often the poor and the disenfranchised and the outcast and the broken. People who had nothing and who knew it. They flocked to him in droves. But it was people like the rich man that would walk away with their head hung sad because they had great wealth and didn't want to give it up. It was the people in power who were afraid to turn from that because they knew they were able and to follow Jesus would cost them that. It's no mistake. Jesus says stuff like, I tell you, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I'll tell you, on the global scene, all of us here, as broke as you are, are rich people. And that is a sobering thought. See, what Jesus wants us to realize is that reality, as God sees it, is that we are in fact lame. You may have found great success in this world. You may have great strength. You might be able to do so many things, but before God, we all stand unable and dependent on him for any shred of hope and for any shred of change. Jesus wants us to approach our relationship to God as someone who is lame. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Why? Because they've finally come to realize they have nothing to offer, nothing to give. They are unable. They are lame. Because from God's point of view, all of us find ourselves helpless and unable no matter how strong we think we might be. I mean, my gosh, Jesus even approached his relationship to God this way. Can you think of anyone in this universe more strong and able than Jesus? I mean, really? If you take for granted that what the Christian faith says about Jesus is true, that what the words of the Bible say about Jesus is true, can you really honestly think of anyone more powerful, more able in this universe than Jesus the Christ. And yet look at what he says himself. His own words. I'm not putting a word in his mouth. By myself, I can do nothing. Really, because I saw you still a storm the other day. It seems pretty strong and able to me. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who set me. Jesus' entire posture before his Father, even though sharing essence with his Father that you and I never will, was one to say, before you I am unable, before you I am dependent, before you I am under authority. Before you, I am lame. And you know what the lamest thing is? It is so lame to pretend like you can walk when you can't. I mean, like, can you imagine if that story went a different way? If, like, this guy was, like, all puffed up on pride about it? You know, like, like some poser trying to, like, kind of, you know, oh, no, you know, Jesus, yeah, I just like to kind of hang here. You know, me, me, me and my guys here, me and my, my bros, you know, we just like to hang by the pool. No, I don't, how lame would that be? You know, isn't it, like, so lame to be around the posers? of this world? Isn't it so lame to be around the people who pretend like they can walk when in reality 
they can't. And God just looks and goes, look, I know you're lame. You're, just say it with me. I am lame, all right? I'm lame. Say that to your friends about four or five times a day. Honey, I just need to tell you today. I am lame. I am so lame. Life will go better for you. It's so lame to pretend like you're not lame when you're lame. And that's how Jesus wants you to approach your relationship with God is someone who is lame. But you know what else is lame, too, while we're on the subject? And to me, it's, it's like an equal and opposite lameness, all right? It is also so lame when someone refuses to walk, when Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and go. Someone who refuses to do what God says they can do. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of in a strange, magic place in my career path. And let me explain to you what I mean. I know it's odd to talk about professional ministry as being a career path. Well, there's career paths to everything. See, most churches want someone who is experienced. They also want someone who's young. Because quite honestly, most churches are old and dying. And so standing with about 20 years of ministry experience at 44 years of age, which is so sad that that's considered young, welcome to our church body, I get the opportunity to talk to a lot of churches. And it's fascinating, and I want to share this with you. And with no denigration meant on other places, it's fascinating to me how many churches are mesmerized by fellowship of faith. Now, I, I got to kind of be a straight shooter with you on this. I don't think we're doing anything here that's too out of the box or that unordinary, you know? But I have the chance to talk to a lot of these churches who are trying you know, to learn and to grow and, and, and some who are looking for the magic bullet to fix it and get to see them and, and see what they have in action. And you know what I'm surprised about is how mesmerized they are by the involvement level here. You know how many people like volunteer at your church? And it's like, oh, it's about 250. Oh, really? Like, like what's your confirmed membership? About 200? That isn't weird to me. But then you start talking to these churches and you go in and they, just, they feel like cathedrals of Europe. Beautiful edifices with nothing inside. I mean, I've been to churches that are, that are like flagship churches. And there's nothing going on. They're kind of lame. And the reason they're kind of lame is because despite the fact that people that, that Jesus has gone to them and said, take up your mat, walk, they refuse to do so. Oh, well, 
well, I don't know what she would say if we choose to do it this way. And, you know, we don't want to hurt that person's feelings over there if we, we dare suggest something different. And, well, you know, they, they like to do this on their weekends and they like to do that. And we really can't, you know, expect any. It's like, do you hear yourself? It's so lame. Do you want to be a part of a vibrant move of God? Pick up your mat. Walk. Do you want a vibrant spiritual life? Are you refusing to do and lacing it with a thousand excuses? When Jesus simply says, you might be lame, but not in that way. So come. Follow me. And from Jesus' point of view, this is kind of what a relationship with God is all about. So let me, uh, let me share a couple things to wrap this up. A couple how-tos. Things to bring it home for you. How does Jesus tell you to, rep- to, to approach your relationship with God? It starts here. Recognize that you are utterly dependent on him. At some level, you've got to come to the place where you recognize and realize, God, I am utterly dependent on you. In this relationship, I bring nothing to the table. In this relationship, I have nothing to offer. In this relationship, there is nothing here to attract you or win you over. God, I am like a lame man by a pool. I'm like a little child. I am utterly dependent on you. And then live that way. I mean, it's Jesus' words. Become like a little child. Like take reverse growth hormones? No, I mean, it's not what he means. And your attitude and in your way of thinking. Stop thinking of God like a partner and start thinking of him like a parent. Start thinking of yourself dependent Dependent on the one who is above for every good thing in this world. And finally, act under God's authority over you. Because like that centurion, you may be strong, you may be able, but you still stand under authority. Under authority of the God who made you. And I can promise you this. Follow Jesus. He is eventually going to tell you something you don't want to hear and you don't want to do. You know how the military tells you to approach this? Give a strong salute. Suck it up and do what your commanding officer is telling you to do because therein lies the reality of what a relationship with God is all about. Practice this. Practice this and start to see how Jesus invites you to approach the God who loves you. So why don't we get on our feet And we'll practice it together today. And we'll start by humbling ourselves together. 
before the God of heaven. Band, you can come on up. You can put the confession on the screen. You know it if you've been with us any length of time. And if you don't, just take a moment to read through the words and, and come to grasp with, grasp with what we're actually doing here. I invite you to use this prayer and these words as a time to allow yourself to be ushered into a place of dependence, humility, a recognition of your inability, and even violation of the authority of the God who is over you. So let's take a moment. Let's just close our eyes. Still the mind a bit. Find that place. And let's start to pray.